Youngbloods acknowledges the traditional custodians of the lands where we work and live. We celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of New South Wales. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. This podcast was produced by Youngbloods New South Wales in partnership with Massive Music. Now let's get into the show. Hey folks, it's Caitlin from Youngbloods with another episode of Lessons in Hindsight, where we get advice from the big dogs on how to be little dogs. Today I'm chatting with Charlie Gearside, co-founder of Pilot and its parent brand Eucalyptus, one of Australia's fastest growing startups. We'll find out about how Charlie made his start programming at a bank, to art directing at two of Australia's biggest agencies, to becoming a creative director at Koala, and launching startups left, right and centre. Charlie, thanks for coming in today to teach us some lessons in hindsight. Hello Caitlin, thank you for having me. Anytime. Just to kick off, a nice little icebreaker. What do you think is the best Australian ad you've ever seen? Oh, this is a really great, great question. I was talking about ads the other day that couldn't be made in 2022. And there's like this classic Cougar Bourbon, five Cougars, thank, thanks ad, which is an absolute classic, but you know, it definitely couldn't be made in, in this day and age. So something more palatable is probably, for me, it's going to be like, you know, Coles down, down, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, even just a Bunnings ad, like just something mass, something that everyone on the street knows. And it, it passes the pub test. There's it, a reason they keep going. Absolutely. I mean, like the, I think it was Dire Straits that did down, down, prices are down because they had the original song and like they absolutely sold out, but like what a way to sell out. <laughs> Bring back the jingles, I yeah, say. Absolutely. They're memorable. Um, now let's go into, back to the heyday, your humble beginnings, what got you into advertising in the first place? Well, I kind of knew about advertising growing up in that my old man was an art director back in the sort of glory days of advertising. My sister's, funnily enough, fast-forwarding, is um, Rosie's ended up as, a, as an art director as well. So we were both exposed to advertising but didn't pursue it and I didn't really know the specifics of, of what, what it entailed. So growing up, I was actually much more into computers and building people's websites. And I think basically I I spent a lot of time on Photoshop. I had like a a pirated copy of Photoshop 7, which I downloaded from LimeWire and spent a whole bunch of time just Photoshopping images, Photoshopping cars. It was a big car nut, building people's websites and all that. And I was kind of, I guess, aimless, but, you know, spending more time in the sort of web world, coding people's websites, ended up doing a bit of part-time stuff there when I was at uni, kind of aimless as you are, like late late teens, early 20s, not really sure what I was going to do for a crust apart from like, you know, continue to build websites and have to maintain them and yeah, all that kind of stuff. But a mate of mine who I'd played rugby with, Jack, he was a copywriter and he was like, hey, I see you doing all this um, design stuff and I see you doing all this Photoshop. Maybe you'd be good as an art director. Maybe we should team up. And he told me about award school and I was like, oh, that looks cool. So off I went and did award school and that was my first taste of, of advertising. Wow. So according to your LinkedIn, you were a front-end web developer and that's sort of like where your studies started out. I did IT at UTS and f- part of that course they put you in a work placement in the first year 
So that was really good because I very quickly worked out what I didn't want to do, which was like working in an office for a bank, from a quarry bank. And the funniest part about that story is that this is 2008. I was on the trading floor coding websites at Macquarie Bank and then the GFC hit. And I guess it's not really that funny story, but like... <laughs> was it live, like while you were there? While I was there. That's 2008. Nuts. And the pretty much three quarters of the trading floor got let go. There and then? There and then. Good and God. like, obviously I was the intern, so like no one even like knew I existed. And were you so, one of them? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't let go, but I was, mm. um, cause I was like getting paid absolute peanuts. Mm. I was a rounding error. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a real lesson there in itself. It was pretty funny. I was just left at my own devices for better or worse, but yeah, that was interesting. Wow. So you did award school in 2012. You met your later creative partner, Jack Nunn, through rugby, was it? Yeah. Nice. Yep. So how did you get your start in advertising after award school? So did award school, spent a little bit of time on a portfolio with Jack, a combined portfolio. It was 95% Jack because he'd been working at Havas for a couple of years and had some success with a few really cool campaigns. And I sort of had to go along with it and, and just pretend that I knew more than I did, which was absolutely... One team, one dream. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so <laughs> so Esther Clarahan was great. She like basically got us a few interviews and met Ben Welsh and M&C Saatchi and hired us on the strength of Jack. And so, <laughs> and so I got absolutely carried through nice. that first one, but I, I needed it. It's yeah. called Humble Beginnings. I appreciate that you... You, you express that humility. Um, Esther's been on this podcast before as well. I saw her, yeah. Yeah. She, she's an absolute industry legend. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, MNC Saatchi, what was that like? That was I, – I think I look back in those years extremely fondly just because that agency was a big agency. It was a grandiose – the building. They're still in that building, I think, on Macquarie Street, but it's like – big sandstone, marble. They had some big accounts at the time. I think they just won Combank again and the work that they just produced was like a, was the Can campaign. I don't know mm. if you remember that. It's going back a bit, but there were some absolute, like Tom Mack and his creatives there were like absolute big dogs and watching them do that like huge campaign creative for the likes of like NRMA and, and Combank was actually really, really cool. So it was like, definitely felt like a, a buzzy place to be in the culture there was, was amazing. And me in sharp contrast, knowing absolutely nothing, <laughs> working on the, on the, on the tiny briefs at the start, I worked on Combank Dolomites. Mm. I don't know if you remember, remember that. I'm pretty sure like that got shut down by the government or like ASIC or something for like shoving financial products down kids' throats. But hey, there's a reason that so many kids are still Dolomite kids. Yeah. So it's you know. a great campaign when you yeah. look at it, right? But yeah, it was great times at MNC. We did a bit of work. We flew down to Melbourne for a few pitches with Paul Taylor, who ran MNC Melbourne. Won the cricket account, Cricket Australia account. That would have been there. Yeah, and that Jack and I like absolute cricket tragic, so that was cool. Like they were just launching the Big Bash League, and yeah, it was just like full on long hours, fun times, very social. I absolutely loved it. Loved it. Yeah. What do you think is was the highlight of your time at MNC Saatchi? 
when I think about the work, like we did campaigns for Cricket Australia, we we won the account, and there was like Test match cricket, one day cricket, and T Twenty cricket, and then there was Big Bash, and you had to do campaigns for all of them, and so like we poured our heart and soul into it, and I think we sold them the idea that we'd bring back their like. Uh, dreadlock holiday I forget who sings it but it's like I don't like cricket <laughs> oh no anyway they like took that idea and they absolutely killed it because they put like Illy the Aussie rapper oh, as like yes. the guy singing it <laughs> 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 well, you wanted to get like Powderfinger or something oh or take me back Thirsty Merc but yeah. um, so that was like a real that was fun times but like you know like a taste of the client yeah. at its best and then oh there was something else that was classic about the Cricket Australia days. Why do you think on that, On in terms of, like, being at those, like, big kind of sandstone pillar agencies that are really established, it's big bars, there's a lot going on, and you land what is probably, for someone like you, like a dream client like Cricket Australia, and you pitch this awesome idea and a client might might take it and kind of, as you, you alluded to before in the car, like, sort of sand down the edges. How did that feel as, like, either, like, a young creative or, or someone kind of, like, starting to sink their teeth into really cool ideas and seeing that, oh, it's not just about the idea, which a lot of award school teaches. It's like how the client receives it and how they interpret it and putting their stamp on it. How did you find that? Yeah, that's a huge question because I think at the time we were obviously upset, really upset. And like, we were like, this client's an idiot. They don't understand cricket. (sighs) Yeah. Um, really, we were really upset. And then I think in hindsight, I actually have a lot more empathy for clients because they actually know their, they know their business really well. I mean, they've got all the metrics, they know what works. So there's that. The client is right, should have been more empathetic about that. But then also like execution does matter. And like the idea is one thing, but unless you can sell your execution in really well, like it's like a butterfly flaps its wings and, like, you know, a tsunami happens somewhere in the earth. The tiniest thing that goes wrong in your, in your campaign can, like, really just, like, derail it. And it's getting illy instead of Powderfinger. Yeah, that I was mean, the, that, that was the, that was the yeah, first that's mistake. chaos theory. Yeah. <laughs> so you've spoken a fair bit about, like, how and kind of why you got into advertising and most of the people that listen to this podcast are presumably eager beavers kind of looking to get their foot in the door or progress their early stage careers in advertising. I'm kind of curious, like, why did you get out of agency? Yeah, so I was getting work to the bone and I think deep down it just wasn't the industry for me. And so although I was grateful for everything it taught me in those three and a half years or so, like super grateful and I'd really skilled up, um, I, I always felt there was something a, a tiny bit wrong that didn't connect with me. I mean, like, and then and that was compounded by the, the the late nights and there was, like, lots of late nights when I was at special group and I was burning out pretty bad and, you know, becoming a bit of a, probably a bit of a shitty person, to be honest. Like, coming home at 11 o'clock quite often, covered in sweat, felt my, my fuse shortening. And so, yeah, it was a combination of, like, hey, something feels wrong. I actually don't, the ideas that win awards, I don't care about. I don't think I'm making a cultural impact. And then also, yeah, the work-life balancing. Mm, totally. 
So there's a fair reasons why to, why, yeah, why can, one would leave agency. How did you come across starting businesses or startups like Petflare and, and you? Can yeah. Well, I think it's that they kind of – what I did next kind of relates to the first reason I gave there, which was, hey, something feels fishy about advertising and that I actually didn't really know that much about advertising as a business. So as a, as a creative, you often get like hidden – from from this stuff and, you know, the suits and the clients actually know how the agency works and how money's time's charged out. I had no idea. But I think I was really interested in that deep down and how the world worked from a, like a more a commercial perspective. And so when I left Special Group, it was basically I, I, I'd read this book, um, The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss one of the all-time greats, obviously, like, extremely clickbaity title, but... Is that what you institute at Eucalyptus, where I work with? <laughs> <laughs> you wish. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, is that 40 or 400? <laughs> um, yeah, it's an amazing book. And there was a section in that book about side hustles and, like, selling a product as opposed to your time. And agencies are about selling your time. It's billable hours business. And this idea that you could sell a product over and over and over again and work the consistent amount of time or less time, I was like, fuck, this is working smarter, not harder. Really struck with my work-life balance thing as well. I'm like, okay, I need to like, I need a product rather than a service. Mm, And what was that product? Thought we might not go there, but we can. It's really embarrassing. No, 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 please. (laughs) Yeah, so there were several. Mm-hmm. There were several. And so, yeah, I jumped around a stack. I, I wanted to do like a website. So I started with like a search engine for med schools with a mate who was a doctor. So it was building that. And then I wanted to do like a lemon squeezer. I think citrus is really underrated in cooking. And so I wanted to like design like a really fancy like lemon squeezer. Turns mm-hmm. out that that's also been done. Right. Um, is it the Mexican elbow? Is that the like... That's the, the like... The one that the, you like... Yeah. yeah. Those are like pretty ugly, but I think they're effective, right? Yeah. Just for anyone listening, <laughs> we both clamped our hands down. Yeah. It's the classic, like, they're always, like, bright yellow as well. Yeah, yeah. You put half a lemon in there and then it's always contentious about which side you put in it as well because you know how one side of it is, like, kind of pushes the lemon down? Is it, like, do you face the cut side there or do you face it the other way around? Right. To- okay. Is that a real hosp- contentious hospo thing? Yeah. Oh, uh, you kind of just use your hands in hospo at that okay. point. Or, yeah, right. That's right. We're, we're getting in the weeds here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you started. Yeah. So there was the lemon squeezer and then it was basically, then I started working at Koala. But I guess parallel to that, I was still trying to do these product businesses. So then I tried to do a swag company, like literally like a, a roll up sleeping swag and then last but not least, we did Pet Flare, which is the, I guess, the funniest, stupidest one, which was uh, people's pets printed on swimwear. What um, year was this? That would have been 2015 or 16. I feel like that was a big e-commerce year of, like, seeing funny shit online and being like, I could get that printed on a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, like, the full lad Bible wave. Mm. Right, where, like, dumb products and shit would, like, mm. do really well. Like, oh, bacon-flavoured X. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Viral video. <laughs> yeah. Bye, bye, bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What's, like, the kind of key takeaway you took from starting essentially all these businesses 
in essentially like failing fast and, and starting again? Like what, what's the key takeaway from that? Yeah, I think failing fast is a good one. Like get a sense of what you like and then if it's not working, cut and run. At the same time, I didn't give them like proper goes and I think if the swag company in particular is like, I put all this effort in, I built a prototype and I didn't even get a run made or even try and sell it online. So I was potentially like scared of failing. Yeah, fear of failure is like one of those things that you can just sort of kid you. It's easy to just like make lots of side projects that never pan out rather than like put yourself out there and like nail it. Um, so yeah, learned that. I, I think I also learned that not all businesses are made equal. So I kind of already knew it from advertising, but Petflare, for example, was a cool idea, but it was a custom piece of swimwear that sold for a hundred bucks. If that person complains and gets a refund, you've just lost everything and then some. So, like, understanding the business model under, that underpins a, a business was, like, a, a useful lesson to take out of it. How do you find understanding the kind of more business operational side of things coming from, like, a creative background? I probably knew very little to nothing about it coming from creative, but in hindsight, you realise that marketing and good communication is rare in business and so the stuff that creatives do every day for agencies which do it for clients is actually such important work and so hard to get right and that's something that I've, I've got extra appreciation for now. Mm-hmm. I'm appreciating how you're dropping in the word hindsight here it's it's they're good um pickup lines for the oh yeah good <laughs> for the lead hindsight, yeah. Yeah. hindsight is 2020. Yeah so um you did a bunch of e-com, you started fast and you failed fast. Petflare came and went 2015, Lad Bible, we all moved on. And then you came across Koala. Yeah. What was that like going into essentially like a mattress slinging business um, that just scaled massively? Yeah. How did you get into that and how did you find it? Yeah, it was amazing. For the first time I felt like I'd really found the people people that were into the same kind of things as me. The way I discovered Koala was I was just, I had taken my like five months off after special and I was learning to code, relearning to code and had my like summer of code. I was living in Bondi at the time and then just like waking up, spending a whole bunch of time learning, then swimming and then coming back and doing more. And I, I think one day I was driving through Surrey Hills and driving down for Vaux Street and I noticed this tiny little building it said the word koala. And I was like, that's a cool, like, modern logo. Really distinctive turquoise branding. And then I looked in the window and there was a bed there. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, did not expect that. <laughs> so my interest was peaked straight away because I was like, okay, this company does, does something different. Looked it up. Oh, it's direct-to-consumer mattresses. Mattresses in a box. I'm like, holy shit, this product's amazing. It's cheap. It's convenient. Really, really interesting. Okay, these guys are definitely on my radar. And so I saw that they were hiring for a front-end web developer and I'd been learning to code and that's had a bit of experience back in the day. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give this a crack. I, I feel like that there's something to there's, there's something special going on in this company. Yeah, so... And you went wrong. No, it was cool. It was, it was about a dozen people when I joined. It was hired by Danny one of the founders, and Tim, who's now my co-founder at Eucalyptus. Um, those guys are really f- smart and, in Tim's case, extremely fast-talking and <laughs> and impressive. And 
yeah, got off to a start there building web pages and then very quickly I think they realised my code was pretty shitty. And they, <laughs> said, they said, hey, we, we need like someone to do the creative. We're starting to spend a lot of money on Facebook ads. Can you take over? And so, yeah, I was like slid in as a sort of creative director there and it was a very, very loose time creatively. It was like paradise. We would write our ads and then we would approve them. <laughs> How good's that? Yeah. Coming from this like several layers of approval in a very big building where your ideas pass through so many hands that it's just like gets back onto your plate and you're like, I didn't write this. Or, like I didn't draw this. Like this is not my idea to just being, what is it, judge, jury and execution? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was it's an amazing feeling that I've never forgotten and have tried to carry on obviously but it's like when you have the power of creativity with zero bottlenecks and you can just iterate and have fun and write the advertising that you'd want to hear and write really random shit that doesn't have to make sense because you know you didn't need a strategist to explain it it's really empowering can get you into trouble sometimes I think I nearly got fired on my second week at Koala why is that there was like an Easter Sunday creative, like a radio campaign. for, And I think we made a reference that was like Jesus had like a three-day, we had a huge bender and then went to bed for three days. And then like, yeah, the Bible Belt in northwest Sydney hit the phones hard. Mm. You yeah. would not have liked what we were concepting for Easter for pilots. So. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of rise again oh, yeah. language no, in there. Love it. Yeah. Cool. So Koala, got it, you're sort of got exposed to that DTC failing even faster and harder and, and scaling aggressively. How did you and Tim and the other two co-founders of Eucalyptus come together and and start up Eucalyptus? So for yeah. anyone that's listening who's not familiar, it's one of Australia's fastest growing startups and it's aiming to revolutionise healthcare for essentially already has done for hundreds of thousands of Australians through brands like Pilot, Men's Health Brand, Kin Fertility, Skin Software, Normal, and most recently, Juniper, which is a menopause and weight offering. So how did the four of you come together and dream up a healthcare brand? When, correct me if I'm wrong, none of you are actually doctors, so. That's still the case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think to like, to tell that story, I think I, it needs a bit more on Koala, actually, because Tim was a Koala, I was a Koala, Lexi was there. We joined when it was about a dozen and then left when it was like 180 two years later. But essentially what Koala did so well, and credit to Mitch and Danny, is they'd taken something that's really difficult to buy online and made it super simple by just driving through every reason why you wouldn't do it. So 120-night trial, comes in a box, four-hour delivery, amazing website with really long landing pages that hammers all those points with really good copy, nice photos. So they built a digital experience that made it easy to buy a mattress online. This was like the e-commerce wave at the time when we were leaving and Tim was like, hey, I think we should do something in e-commerce. And I was very much of the view that, hey, let's do something in software just in general. Let's do a software business and sell um, shovels to the gold rush or whatever that, (laughs) (laughs) sell the tools or whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we ended up somewhere in between because Benny the fourth founder who I knew from exchange in college in America like 10 years prior. He was like a real healthcare guy and he was like, hey, I'm doing a business in healthcare. I'm thinking it's going to be in this space and I'm like, hey, mate, Tim, 
they hit it off and then we're like, okay, well, let's do something in e-commerce, let's do something in software and let's do something in healthcare. And that's when we sort of decided on the name Eucalyptus and went off to like raise a bit of cash. Hmm. What do you think is the most difficult part of that experience? Because you're coming from like, you all have different interests. There's four of you banding together. How on earth do you get funding for something that isn't built yet? Yeah. You don't have a prototype. You haven't got great testimonials for how to get, you know, mattresses online delivered to your door. How do you convince someone to pour money into this idea? Yeah, well, the idea, like our pitch deck we've shared online a bunch of times and it's very sparse on the healthcare stuff. It's kind of like, it's very sparse on details in general, but it was about, hey, we've seen this unique thing about the future, which is that everything's going to be digital. Um, we also believe that like creativity and marketing and talent, creative talent is really important. And the same way that engineers had changed the world for the last 10 years through software engineering, we were like, hey, that's the same thing, but it's in creativity, it's in marketing, it's in branding. And we're going to apply it to healthcare. And so I guess it was one of those situations where we'd taken the, the people that gave us the funding on the journey enough and we had a unique perspective enough that they were just like, hey, let's take a punt on these guys. They seem passionate and into it. And here we are. Yeah. Two, three years later? Nearly, oh, three and a bit years. Nearly four, yeah. God. Four in um, November. They say time flies. When, yeah. <laughs> I've aged like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the fun of startups or, or just generally like starting your own business, in my view, is certainly like wearing all the hats, wearing lots of different hats. George Organ gave me that one. Oh, uh, yeah. Charlie's Shout dad likes to wear a lot of hats. You know, so you're coming from like front end web development to like creative direction, art direction, but you're also putting on the hats of like, you know, a customer experience specialist, probably leaning a lot into coding, copywriting. How do you stay creatively inspired when there's so many kind of more functional parts of the business you're trying to build at the same time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah, I'm firmly of the belief that like give anything a crack and sort of if you've seen it done well, you can kind of do it to a not as good level, but like you can sort of fake it or copy or steal or take inspiration. Yeah, I've never been shy about like drawing heavy inspiration. I actually think that that's one of the strangest things, side side topic, I think it's one of the strangest things about advertising is that people are so like obsessed with originality and like, oh, that idea's been done, you can't do it. Because like the best ideas, at least in business, are like bringing something new to like a new audience or slightly changing the way something's done. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, I think it's know a little about a lot has always been my approach, yeah. What's the best advice you've ever been given either in your time in startup land or ad world or prior to that? Best advice would have to be Jack, my old partner. And I remember I was like at a pretty low point early on at special and I was like, coming up with all this work like Jack was a more senior creative than me so like he was like a really hard CD for me in that I had to get work past him to even get it in front of the CD and then so it was like an extra like challenge and I was really struggling with that and in in a lot of ways it might not have been like the healthiest thing but 
he basically said, hey, like, don't worry, this isn't a very normal thing. The gap between your taste and what your ability is, like, seems really yawning, but, like, over time it will get better. And so he basically the advice of, like, be patient, put the hours in, and just, like, it's not you, it's just, like, trust the system in your own, own belief. That was actually hugely, hugely valuable and kept me sane. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty hard, at least... I mean, not that I have much experience in agency world, but getting, even in awards who are just getting told no, and you're going like, oh, I thought this was like the best thing to be invented since sliced bread, but you just told me no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Far out. Yeah. It's like a lot of important rejection, right? <laughs> mm. Resilience, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Now, you're known for nurturing a lot of future talent in creative. So, you know, you lectured in award school last year. You judged award school last year as well. You encouraged me to apply for awards. Hard you. Yeah, <laughs> you did hard me, correct? From what you've seen, what do you think it takes to succeed creatively? I think it's just communication skills and, and your own voice. I know that you don't have a portfolio, Caitlin, but that would be my number one is like a portfolio is one thing and everyone has a portfolio, but it's like the ones that actually show who you are or show how you think about things or a lot of portfolios just finish work or like these are the things that got made and they got watered down by the client and here they are in my portfolio it's like don't really care about that I actually want to know all your ideas that like got rejected that you thought were the best things ever so I think it's like yeah a bit of that bit of like logistical stuff like that and then just like a unique voice and 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 belief in your own taste which I guess comes comes with time yeah mm. yeah and work ethic mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I just got personal advice um from that this had nothing to do with anything <laughs> what advice would you give to creatives who are looking for their next step so next step as in career step yeah I think like you're in quite a unique position a lot of people when they enter the traditional and I say that with inverted <laughs> yeah, yeah. quotation marks like the traditional advertising stream like you end up from like a junior position you go into mid you go senior you go cd acd like all those tiers exist for a reason but for people who might be feeling something similar to what you were feeling Mm. like the work-life balance wasn't it for them or something about that kind of like traditional advertising realm which is obviously changing like something about that isn't sitting right with them or doesn't align with them like what advice would you give to those sorts of people who are looking for what's yeah yeah for those sorts of people and they're definitely out there, is I think knowing that you can be creative outside of a creative agency or an agency in general is like a huge thing to understand. And you can be a creative person outside of marketing even. There's lots of ways to express express your creativity. I would say that since the internet, in-house creativity is becoming more of a thing because the whole reason agencies existed was you can only advertise on TV and radio and it was expensive and everyone watched it at the same time. And so you needed a high degree of professional skill to pull those ads off. But since the internet, advertising can be everywhere, can be cheap. And so a lot of companies are bringing that in-house. So there's big old lame companies bringing it in-house and then there's newer companies technology companies that are smaller, more nimble, bring it in-house. And I think you need to decide, A, do you want to work at a big place? Do you want to work at a small place? What's your risk appetite? 
and then B, sort of just getting in there, doing a bit of copy, doing a bit of video, doing art direction, doing it all. Yeah, the jack of all trades is kind of like the, the number one, what do they call it, the unicorn? My mate calls it the unicorn, which is like someone that does a little bit of everything and like those are the, the roles in demand. So I think it's like, yeah, reacquainting yourself with like what the modern creative industry looks like, which is kind of different to the traditional. Mm. Cool. What do you wish I asked you today? Hmm. What I think about awards. All right, go on. <laughs> Let her rip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is usually me after like three beers. But I'll do it. I'll do it. Stone so cold for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awards are bullshit. Absolute bullshit. They're like a Ponzi. No, they're not a Ponzi. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, it's like the work that wins awards is usually smells quite fishy, and it's rare. Some of the work I think of that's won awards, I go, it's amazing work, amazing insight. Amazing craft. Like, oh, the one I always think about was like McWhopper. I used to like love McWhopper. I was like, that is genius. And then you talk to your mates and you're like, oh, did you hear about this? And just never heard of it. Awards don't reflect true cultural impact. And also they're like set up the wrong incentive system for creatives and for agencies in general, where it's like creatives want one thing, a lot of them do, which is awards. And then the businesses that they serve want something completely in conflict with that, which is they want results. And so until there's like an awards that aligns with the business results and don't say the effies because that's a, lot, that's a crock of shit as well. Um, I feel strongly about awards and I think there are better ways to recognise creatives. Mm, thank you. That's a Rant. nice little spicy, <laughs> spicy one to end on. Thank you so much for joining us today, Charlie. Oh, thanks, Caitlin. Yeah, sorry to end on a on a negative rant, but you know, no, yeah, you've left caught the, me on you've a left Tuesday. The people um, wondering. Yeah, they want more. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Nah, awesome. Thanks for having me. Yep. Cool.